Hey there, Merry Post-Christmas, Pre-New Year, and welcome to Planet Now, Episode 3. This is actually a bonus episode. So I was wrong. I was wrong. I was supposed to have a third episode after the New Year. But this interview was so interesting and relevant to the holidays, I could not wait. So before the holidays are completely over and done, I have a question for you. What are some of your favorite holiday traditions, no matter what the holiday? When my siblings and I were younger, and I specifically remember this with my older sister and I, because we're the oldest of all of our siblings, my parents would always pack a brown paper lunch sack with natural treats like an apple, an orange, unshelled walnuts, pecans, and almonds. Now, one of my parents even snapped a photo of me dancing around our green shag carpeted living room holding one of those bags on Christmas Day in 19-something-something. That's an example of a gift that was given to me, something that we used to do every year when we were younger. But what about holiday traditions, in this case, specifically Christmas traditions, surrounding giving to others, say family members who are far away, separated not only by land, but by oceans? Well, I learned something new in this interview with Illinois-based photographer and artist Jason Roblando. He wrote a piece for City Lab about special boxes that members of the Filipino diaspora send home each year for Christmas. He joined me on Skype. Balikbayan boxes are these culturally specific boxes that Filipinos from around the world send back to their families, back into the Philippines. So the phenomenon of the Filipino diaspora is something that I've been interested in over the last couple of years. And I am part of it. I am Filipino-American, and I was born and raised in New York, but my parents had emigrated from the Philippines to New York in the late 50s and early 60s. So we grew up with these Balakbayan boxes, and I really didn't know what they were. I knew that we were sending things back to family in the Philippines, but I didn't know what Balakbayan meant. I didn't know just the kind of circumstances that were, I didn't know why we were sending it. And I also didn't know other people from all around the world were sending these. I thought it was just this box in our living room. I think I wasn't too culturally aware of my Filipino-ness growing up. But it turns out that this box was very culturally specific. You know, growing up, it just took up a lot of space in our living room. These boxes are about a little over two feet tall and a foot and a half wide and deep. So they're, they're quite large. It's about the size of a small refrigerator. And it would take a long time to fill up with non-perishable goods. When did your family start filling up the box? Seems like it was always being filled up. Like they would, I think they would start filling it up in the spring or summer. And then they would eventually get around to sending it when they would eventually get filled. It was kind of like a, almost like a year-round thing. It feels like it would get sent off in the fall. And, you know, that slow process of filling this big box up, it would be filled up with small, with our family at least, it would get filled up with small goods. So clothes every now and then, or tins of Swedish butter cookies every now and then we'd put in there, or perfumes, or toys, or spam, like that kind of processed canned meats. It was as if this relative in our living room sitting there, because <laughs> that's how much room it took up, and that's how much kind of room it took up in, in my head. You know, this box and this surrogate person was kind of in our living space, and it was kind of walked around it. 
<laughs> so. <laughs> so did you send the box to another family, a relative, or was it just for one specific person? We would send it to one of our aunts or uncles who resides in the Philippines. And we have a very large extended family back in the Philippines. My mom was one of eight children. And there were a few aunts and uncles who live in the U.S., but we were sending it to the handful of aunts and uncles who had remained in the Philippines. So what's the difference between a Balik Bayan box and a care package? There is care in it, definitely. <laughs> but I think the big difference is that usually care packages are sent by the person who is home, and it's received by the person who is away. Yeah, I would receive care packages from my parents when I went off to college. So stuff that would remind me of home. I think there's a difference between the destination and the sender. So in the case of Bollock Bayan boxes, the Bollock Bayan boxes are getting sent by the person who is away, the person who is abroad. So they're collecting all these goods that don't necessarily, they aren't necessarily reminders of home, but they're almost reminders of the person who is away. And a reminder that this person is always thinking of their family back home. I mean, the fact that they are working abroad means that they've left their family. And this is the case I'm talking about as far as like overseas Filipino workers who live abroad for years or decades at a time and send remittances back and also these Balak Bayan boxes back. So I think there's a big difference between a traditional care package that gets sent out from home and the Balak Bayan box that gets sent back from abroad back home. I think it's more kind of poignant. The care packages that I'm accustomed to were a box of cookies or just some big goods that, you know, just a reminder of home that you can just drop off at a post office. With Balak Bayan boxes, it's kind of a bigger production. A, it's a bigger box. And B, there's a whole kind of network and cottage industry that surrounds these Balak Bayan boxes. So I was interested in who handles these Balak Bayan boxes and, and how it gets from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's lots of interesting avenues as far as A to B with the U.S. Postal Service. But with the Balak Bayan box services, like the one that I followed in Joliet, Illinois, in central Illinois, there's this uh, company called T-Bar International. It's run by this one family, and he, this person, uh, Toto Baronia, collects all these boxes from, I thought it was just central Illinois. He collects it from all around the Midwest in this huge van. He goes to Michigan. He goes to Iowa. I didn't it, realize they went far. I also thought they were they were in <laughs> Illinois. Wow. Okay. I, am, I was stunned. So he's driving for hours and hours, and people schedule his services and a pickup from this person. He collects it from all around the Midwest, and he's one of a handful of people in Illinois. But he collects it in a big van, and then he brings these boxes back to a warehouse back in Joliet. And then from the warehouse, he loads it into a big shipping container. And then that shipping container, when it gets filled, it will slowly get filled with these big boxes. You know, that shipping container is a standard container that goes on a train to California, And then from California, it goes on a boat to Taiwan, and then Taiwan to Manila, and then to Manila, it gets back on a delivery truck to point outward from there. And there's no conveyor belts. There's no real kind of automation. Everything is kind of done by, it just passes through a lot of hands. And the boxes can weigh up to like 100 pounds because they are quite large. And it's kind of like 
the priority mail where if it fits it ships so if you send i think up to up to a hundred dollars i believe if you send like a a big bollock blind box full of feathers it'll cost 60 bucks if you send a bunch of bowling balls it'll also cost 60 bucks <laughs> oh so it's worth money to send <laughs> to send whatever yes, you can <laughs> absolutely and they're usually bulging with goods and he tries to keep it pretty standard because if things are bulging, then it'll take up space from another box. So if it's kind of ill-fitting, like let's just say that there'll be 50 boxes in a shipping container. And if one is bulging, only 49 will fit. It serves everyone if the boxes are packed well and are just not bulging. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. So would it be accurate to say it's the goal to get as many items into each Bollock buy-in box, but getting as many boxes into a shipping container? Absolutely. That's exactly it. And I'm sure that's basic physics and basic business sense that I was not aware of. <laughs> but it makes complete sense as far as efficiency and getting as much bang for your buck all around. One of the things that you mentioned is that some of the products that are included in the boxes, they're, you know, they're everyday things. Things like, you know, dish detergent. I think you mentioned Ensure uh, that seem like yes. everyday things. But the emotional weight that, that bottle of Ensure carries to the person who's receiving it is heavy. It means a lot. I think everyone loves opening a gift, right? <laughs> As opposed to cash always fits, right? <laughs> that, that never goes out of style. <laughs> but I think the, yeah, and, and that's what remittances are for. Remittances are for people to spend money on things that they need and want. And certainly the remittances are there to provide for people who are back home. But opening a box of, uh, of items and to identify items that someone has specifically chosen for you, I think there's a lot of a lot of sentiment around each item that this person is always thinking about each individual family family member uh, every time they they go out and go shopping for themselves. They're thinking, oh, you know, my my son who is a thousand miles away, he loves Doritos. And I remember that. And I'm going to get him some Doritos, even though I, I'm going to send it from Dubai. I'm going to give him some Doritos. And even though he can get Doritos in the Philippines, <laughs> he's going to know that it's from from me. And the, this bag is going to travel many, many thousands of miles back home to the Philippines. So this, you know, a mother can still indulge their son, even though they are away. And you had mentioned, you know, either Ensure, which is like this protein drink that elderly people use to supplement their diet. I encountered many people who were sending things back to parents, you know, their elderly parents that they couldn't take care of physically. They, they physically couldn't be there. So, you know, again, there's another kind of substitute or surrogate for for their presence, this Ensure uh, protein drink. You know, I'm thinking about the parents that I can't take care of, and instead of being there holding their hand, I can at least provide some sort of sustenance in, in this way. And I think it means a lot as far as just the act of being away is a sacrifice. And then, and I know that they're, everyone stays in contact via social media or email or and, and Facebook, but I think that receiving a box this long-awaited box from family members who are working abroad, I think is very, can be very special and very poignant. And then, 
And then I've also heard stories about people who there might be some drama around maybe items that got that have gone missing. So 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 Uh-oh. maybe maybe someone <laughs> will will kind of abscond one item for themselves as they're opening the gift, and they'll say, "Oh, didn't you get my? I don't know." Didn't you get my tea set? <laughs> and they're like, oh, no, no. What, what tea set are you talking about? <laughs> so I think people need to be really present <laughs> about their inventory. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I, I think things might have uh, might go missing. <laughs> because there could be a whole soap opera surrounding the, uh, the, the, the drama around, around the items, around the, the, the Molly Klein box items. <laughs> Oh, no, one thing I haven't asked you just yet. So what does Balak Bayan mean? Oh, sure. This, so I didn't find this out until uh, I was 35. And I was visiting the Philippines the first time as an adult. And I was meeting a cousin who I'd never met before at this family party. And he said, oh, Jason, you're the, you're the Balak Bayan. And I, I said, well, it's like, what do you mean? Like the box? Because no, you know, you're the person who's returning you're the person who's kind of passing through uh, and coming back home. And balik means return, and bayan means, bayan means home. Or actually, bayan means town or nation. Uh, so you're the person who's returning, who's coming back and kind of like, like, a, like repatriating. So the term balik bayan means it's applied to the box as far as the person, like the box is coming back, but also it refers to a person the person who is returning. So there's always this this connection. Even though he called me uh, Balak Bayan, even though I had never been home before, that was my first time visiting the Philippines, mm-hmm. yet there was an expectation that I was returning home to the uh-huh. homeland. So I, I, I felt this connection that I had never, that I should have felt before, mm-hmm. but him saying that really had this kind of emotional connection to me that that someone was was missing me all the time even though i was visiting for the first time as i was doing more research i thought it was interesting finding out that the term was coined in the 70s by ferdinand marcos and it was like this bollock bayon program that was meant to kind of capitalize on people who were moving abroad permanently so Filipinos, like my parents, who had who made their home in the U.S., and they came up with this term because they would want people to come back and reinvest and be a be a kind of good ambassador abroad, but also tell people, don't forget about the Philippines. Don't forget about where you came from. So come back home and <laughs> bring some money, bring some goods, but also be good ambassadors to uh, to the world too. And now this whole situation is kind of fraught with, uh, as far as overseas Filipino workers goes, overseas Filipino workers are, are often referred to as national heroes. So even though, you know, because they are really propping up their income, the income that they send back to the Philippines in the forms of remittances, they make up a significant part of the Philippine GDP. So the country really depends on this kind of human export of labor to you know all over the world. And without them, the economy would be in, in even worse shape that they are in right now. So the whole thing is kind of dependent upon this perpetual absence 
of family members. And I think when I think about that and the role that the Bollock Bayan box plays in connecting family members from all over the world, not just the U.S., but Filipinos, they're, they're like these constellations. They're just like just spread out all over the world <laughs> and sending them goods back and sending their love back and sending money back. I think it's wonderful, but I also think there's this absence that is always there. It's kind of like this, I don't know, it's, it's just like this, uh, this empty chair at the table that uh, people are always, people are always missing them. Mm-hmm. And the person who is abroad is always missing their family. Wow. So I, I can't help but think of the song, I'll Be Home for Christmas. Sure. But sure. with a I mean, slightly different meaning. Exactly. I mean, it, it, it's it's hard. I mean, I think a lot of people send those symbolic buying boxes, they send them usually in October. And that's like the high season for a lot of the bollock buying box companies because it takes so long for those boxes to get back in time for Christmas. You know, Christmas in the Philippines is is pretty pretty intense, and, and a lot of people come back for their month off during that time. So sometimes they'll make it back, but often I would imagine that people who have made their home abroad, they won't be home for Christmas, and instead the box will come home. And I think that is a, uh, you know, it's nice that they have at least this this big box that has <laughs> that has taken up residence in someone's home, someone's <laughs> living room <laughs> for many months, and then that box will go home. The connection that you felt or didn't feel, it seems like the box was more of an annoyance. Is Would that be accurate to say? <laughs> you know, I think as a young child, I can't even say it like as an adolescent. Maybe as an adolescent, I may, may have had more awareness. But mm-hmm. I think growing up, I would just see this box and it would it would be just taking up space and it's just something that was in the way and inconvenient and Why I really wasn't <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> and also I would be maybe I was jealous mm-hmm. maybe I was jealous that this box was taking up space and and the goods were being sent back to the Philippines like toys and and clothes and and that that would be being I don't know, a kid who wanted stuff for himself mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to the selflessness that my parents <laughs> were demonstrating and thinking about others. And I finally gotten around to knowing you know, the significance of having family all over the world. It's taken a while for me to kind of to kind of feel this connection. And uh, I suppose it's never, never too late, but I'm glad that finally feeling this connection to my Filipino heritage. When did you start feeling that inkling of awareness and that spark that, hey, this isn't just a box that used to annoy me in the living room as a child. Um, It's something more. It's something deeper. It's part of who I am. I think I've been interested after college. I wanted to visit the Philippines. But I didn't get a chance to actually do it until I was in my mid-30s. And then I think that trip meant a whole lot to me to meet family I'd never met before, to see a landscape and cities and a country that had only existed in my imagination and in photos. And that had set me off on a path that I'm still on. And this is uh, you know almost 10 years later that I wanted to return again. And that was the, the kind of basis of applying for my Fulbright Fellowship. And that was a really wonderful opportunity to connect with, not only with my family, but also with a 
whole culture that I had not really taken the time to to spend time with. And I'm still trying to figure out exactly why I'd been so kind of removed from it, whether it be maybe my parents thought I would absorb a lot of their culture just by osmosis. But I, I think the reason, like first-generation immigrants, I think the priority is assimilation at all costs. Mm-hmm. But I think that there there's a price to pay for that. And, you know, it took me a, a little while to kind of be interested about my heritage. But I'm glad that it's happening. I have a, a young boy. I have a five-year-old. Mm-hmm. And I hope that he will be as interested in the Filipino half of his family, but I'm barely that person to <laughs> to pass that on because my my experience is so watered down. So I think that experience in the Philippines was very. He was three at the time. I'm not sure if he's going to remember much, but I know it will be part of his his experience. Did well, your parents no speak uh, Tagalog at home? They did. They did speak Tagalog at home, but only to each other. And not to the children. So, again, that drive to assimilate the children as kind of deeply as possible is something to kind of consider. And when I went back to the Philippines in uh, 2015, many people, everyone would comment on the fact that I did not know Tagalog and they would... uh, they, they had no problem shaming me. <laughs> you, you, you should know Tagalog. You, you're Filipino. And and even in, uh, you know, I went to this project mm-hmm. on, the, on the diaspora. You know, I, I went to Dubai. I went to Milan. And every Filipino I, I interacted with, they were stunned and, and, and embarrassed that I did not know Tagalog. And I was embarrassed myself. And, and mm-hmm. I, would, I would be constantly apologizing. And, and I think there's a perception, I think, this might be in my head, but I think there's a perception that this person did not take the time and did not care enough to learn Tagalog. And if I did know, I think my interactions with people would have been much more profound. I think language is a very powerful thing, whether that be to exclude someone or include someone. And if I did know Tagalog, that would mean like I was I was kind of down with the whole with everything that, that I kind of grew up with it or had at least taken the the courtesy to learn it. But I got by, you know, even though everyone knew English, almost everyone. knew. I, I know a lot of people in the provinces did not know English, but I think language is a very powerful tool that can really be used to connect with someone. And I'm doing my best to, to kind of make up for that. On Skype, that was Illinois-based photographer and artist Jason Roblando. You can find more about what he learned about Balak Bayan boxes in the piece that he wrote for City Lab. You can get that link at planetnow.com. Thanks again for listening to Planet Now, this bonus third episode. Until next time, until 2018, take care.